0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that our journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson. My good friend Greg Fahnd and I are also on this journey of becoming. We are both dedicated to inviting you into our journeys and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey that we all find ourselves on. We want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe and in our pluralistic society. We have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of our biggest allies. We have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And we believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith, in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. You can figure that out. I'm just going to start recording because
1: <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, because this is what we right did well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm super ADHD. Actually, I, I at, uh a I'll tell you a funny story uh, at camp. <laughs> oh man all right so this is that camp that i just uh i was teaching at with high school students and they it was cool one thing i liked about it was it wasn't so every camp that i always grew up at or grew up going to is like big and flashy and like had all the lights and the loud music and you know the emotional manipulation stuff um Mm -hmm. Here, when they did worship services, I'm using air quotes or scare quotes, whatever. What's the right word for that? Air quotes, scare quotes, air quotes,
1: uh, quotes, yeah. quotes, yeah.
0: Um. Uh, Was that each day, like a different one of the small groups, they had to like plan the worship service. So it was like these kids and they would get up and like fumble through, a you know, a prayer that they wrote. And then someone would, you know, fumble through like, oh, I'm going to read this, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 verse. And then whatever, but it was, there was no flash. It was just very genuine. And uh, then they hmm. uh, did communion every time. So the seniors were supposed to plan senior worship where on the last night, the seniors uh, lead everyone in worship and it's supposed to be, you know, more special and whatever. I got in charge of helping them plan that. And I told, I told Amanda, I was like, I, I'm not good at this. <laughs> like planning. <laughs> this is going to be difficult for me. Luckily, there was another leader. So I was kind of aiding, uh, him helping. And then we got nothing done the first day. So We had a second day when we could plan for it. And that time Amanda came through and like Amanda uh, really helped us, which was, you know, thank, thank you, Amanda. Um, and I know she listens to the show, but, uh, she like helped us to actually make sure it got done. And as she's like trying to talk to these high school students, I'm in the back, like being distracting, like as I'll get out, like I'm drawing in the dirt and like, you know, messing with them. Like, you know, um, I drew, this so here, this, this is naughty, but I drew uh, what resembled a, you know, a phallus in the dirt. And I was like, psst, psst, and, I, like pointed <laughs> down. and so they're, all, they're like giggling, you know, and you wipe it away real quick. And then Amanda was like, Hey guys, focus, focus. And then I was like, Oh, I'm being the bad one right now, and I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all that is all it was ADHD. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't focus. It's right
1: for now. real. Yeah, I, it is for real.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. It was uh man, it's probably good. I'm not a youth <laughs> pastor anymore.
1: <laughs> I and I love <laughs> I love that you were stooping down and writing in the dirt.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was a very Christ-like thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. And one I remember, I'll tell you one more. Um uh, again, high this is when I was actually a high school pastor, and we were at a retreat and um uh the the, the, the we like all the boys uh stayed in like this cabin, but the cabin was cool because it had it was like two big rooms and there's a hallway that connected it. So like they're all bunk beds and stuff. So you could go in between the two rooms or like you could hear the other. Students. So I stayed in one side and then two adult leaders stayed in the other side of the cabin and it was late. And the boys, because all right, high school boys, um, like started playing this thing called the penis game, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It's not as bad I'm not, as it sounds. Basically, what you do is you say someone says the word penis. And normally, someone will start quiet. They'll be like "penis," and then someone has to say louder, and then louder, 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 louder. And so, basically, Uh, the person who wins is the one who says it the loudest. Okay. Okay. So it's like two a.m. and they're playing this game, screaming "penis." I'm in my bunk, like facing my pillow, laughing, and in my mind, I was like, "This is somebody really needs to take control of this situation."
1: Yeah, it's always it's always that revelation when you realize you're supposed to be the adult in the room.
0: Right. And then I was like, oh, that's supposed to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and then this uh one of the one of the other adult leaders got up and he was like, guys, shut the hell up. It is 2 a.m. <laughs> like the next person you talk, blah blah blah. And then dude, then I was really laughing because like this the leader was mad. So I was like, covering uh-huh. my face, so he didn't hear me laughing. <laughs> oh man! So that those are the, all the stuff I said about mental health and and stuff for why I left the church is not true. It's because I just <laughs> I was too immature and <laughs> laughed at high school boys saying penis at two a.m.
1: <laughs> that's funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, how's that for an introduction on a podcast?
1: That's a solid intro. I think that's going to get a lot of. uh a lot of a lot of downloads. Yeah,
0: I think so. Just that for sure. <laughs> well, if you're hanging out, uh you are not lost. You are listening to Rethinking Faith. <laughs> Rethinking Faith, uh, with Josh and Greg, Greg and Josh. Uh yeah. So there that's a crazy way to start, but like I guess I could ask also ask you how you're doing, Greg. It's early. Maybe that's why my brain is at its like most active right now.
1: That's right. Yeah. Recording at 8 a.m. That's yep. a unique. That's a first. It is. And I've already that's had, cool. I've already had, I've already had two full cups of coffee and my,
0: Ooh, nice. Yep. I'm yep. on my first one still. Bing. All right. Nice. But it's, it's not, you know, Marty would say it's uh, shitty coffee because I, you know, I didn't use like a French press or like use um, Uh huh. the pour, do over. pour over or anything like that. I like doing that, but also uh, I'm lazy. So drip pot yeah. coffee it is.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, that's that's i i my need for coffee quickly transcends my snobbery. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yes. Oh man, I'm here for it. Well, uh Greg, I thought today what might be fun um especially because like I have referenced this uh multiple times like just kind of offhandedly. Um and also uh I feel like it'll come up a lot um just with us speaking moving forward uh, is this idea of the three centers of knowing, which is something that at second breath, uh, you guys really focus on and teach a lot about. So I thought maybe today we could talk about the three centers of knowing and just kind of um, give people like a helpful, like overview of what that is, um, Mm -hmm. what we mean by that. And uh, maybe even like practically what that, you know, looks like in life. So um, yeah. I don't know where to start well, I, I'm, I'm gonna just throw it over to you and see what happens all right well, you know for
1: me i, I think i mean w- one way to to recognize sort of you know we understand paradigm we understand that each of us have been raised in a fish tank right and and we absorb the assumptions of our culture of our communities of our family systems and we're unaware of them initially until we begin to bump up against other systems and cultures that begin to you know poke holes in our our worldviews but you know, if we're raised in the West, uh, we are so, you know, we're we're so steeped in Aristotelian thinking and logic, you know, we have, we we are a radically head centric culture. um, And we believe uh, that if we understand something uh, well enough, deeply enough, you know, that we become masters of it, that we'll experience. And of course, in religious circles, particularly in Western Christianity, it becomes if I understand the Bible clearly enough, if I understand doctrine well enough, this is the reason why when I was in seminary, I studied Greek and Hebrew, because I just thought if I can just lock this stuff down. Each each new book I was reading, each new verse i was translating what i was trying to do is like each was like a brick that i was trying to construct this perfect sound structure and i and i really believe that if i had enough bricks of proper healthy under quote-unquote healthy understanding of the bible of the gospel that my life would be transformed my church would be transformed the world would be transformed what i found over and over again in life is that real, you know, that no matter how much I understood something or thought I did, that knowledge alone will never change or transform us. And it was really frustrating. I didn't know what to do from that point. You know, I I remember there was a time, and this not only applies to our spirituality and our religion, but I remember it applied uh, early on in in, uh, my marriage. We started having kids, and we have three sons. Now they're grown. But when they were young, you know, it really threw a a lot of tension in in the system in marriage. So we went to uh, marriage therapy. And uh, I remember my, my mindset was I was willing to go to therapy, but I was like arrogantly deep inside. I was like, there's no one. She's not going to tell me anything. I don't already know. There's no way this therapist is going to tell me anything. I don't know. So what When she, what she would do, she would ask me a question and I would figure out where she was going with the question. Then in my answer, I would You know construct all the reasons of you know why i'm doing what i'm doing the issues with my mom the issues with my dad why i'm this way you know and give like a a little dissertation uh summarizing my issues and this and that and and uh, i think we're on like our third session with her and i was in the middle of another what i thought was a really solid uh self-diagnostic uh rant and she she interrupted me she says greg you're really you're really good at diagnosing yourself and I and I was just thinking, yeah, you said it not be, but like yeah, I am. She said you're really good at diagnosing yourself, but I see no change in your life. And it was like this hammer that came down of just realizing, like, oh my God, I I can write dissertations on my issues, but I realized knowledge alone will never change me. That, uh, and then that, that sort of rippling out for me, my understanding of Christianity, my understanding of uh, the gospel. What does this look like? And so it really got me wrestling, and I felt stuck because. All I had was my mind, you know, and even I was, and that was even happening in cognitive therapy. What, what was I doing? I've had emotional issues. Go to cognitive therapy, and it was a, it was a very head-centric approach, and that's, you know, that's when I found out about second breath, and I started going to second breath classes in about 2008, and they talked about the the brilliance of the mind, but that there's also this this extremely neglected two other centers of intelligence of the the center of intelligence of the heart and the center intelligence of the body, and they are equal in brilliance uh, to the mind. And if we want to experience real transformation, um, and and we can see these in different wisdom traditions of different religions, and I think Jesus was pretty explicit in embodying and teaching this too, but that these three centers, if, if we are kind of growing in awareness of the brilliance of the body, the heart, and the mind, all in alignment, that's when we experience authentic change from the inside out. Um, and it will never happen just by the head alone.
0: Yeah, that's um, your, I mean, your story sounds uh, or reminds me a lot of like, my own experience. <clears throat> like, especially, uh, I just assumed, you know, when I so I started studying theology when I was in college. Um, prior to college, I grew up as like a good evangelical. And I had this idea, not saying all evangelicals think this way. So forgive me, but I had this idea in my head, like, I don't need theology. I have Jesus. Why do I need all that stupid theology stuff?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah.
0: Um, So which there's like, there's some kind of nice, like, if, if you like, look at that from a perspective of like, you know, conventional wisdom, conventional right. wisdom, then like post-conventional wisdom or like naivete right. and then like a second naivete,
1: Right.
0: Mm, it, it, it might actually be a lot deeper. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean it in a deep way. And then I started studying theology in college. I got introduced, um, actually, the first theology book I ever read was um, N.T. Wright's book on the problem of evil. I read that in uh, my theology class, and it was really cool. And then I started reading a lot, and I basically was like, if I can, like you said, if I can build, you know, my fortress of faith, so to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. with all the correct information then Mm -hmm. like it'll be good and it was all extremely head focused for me even to the point where like um when I started working at Seneca Creek the last church that I worked at um and I was the youth pastor there one of the things that I did was I was like looking over youth curriculum and I was like man this stuff sucks like it's so boring Mm -hmm. doesn't matter like it's just cheesy so I would write my own curriculum that was basically (laughs) that was basically like Mm -hmm uh a lot and i had (laughs) i had this idea and i remember i can picture it right now like sitting in pastor Jeanette's office talking with her and being like "Jeanette, the problem is the reason these kids aren't changing is because no one has actually taught them the the real gospel no one has actually taught them the right stuff Mm -hmm. and i can do that i'm gonna Mm -hmm. come in and i'm gonna (laughs) teach them all of the right ideas and once i teach them those ideas then they're going to be like the most on fire Christians you've ever seen. Yeah. And um, Jeanette, (laughs) if Jeanette, if you're listening, thank you for being patient with me. Cause I know like in Jeanette's head, she was like, this is bullshit, but uh, Mm. like, I'm going to let Josh go for it. Like have that Mm. freedom to learn. Um, So yeah, that, and it just, it didn't work Um, for students. And it also didn't work for me. Uh, I think I told you before about like Noelle asking me like what are you searching for Um, and like you Mm -hmm. know in the books I was like trying to like just answer these basic like basic like existential (laughs) questions Um, what is it my therapist gave me language she said uh, what did it say Uh, existential crisis and ontological um uncertainty or something like that was mm. like the, the, <laughs> i was like oh yeah that's me um yeah it just it didn't it didn't work um just staying in in my head uh it didn't didn't work because it no. just they're just ideas
1: um and we're in a we're in a cultural context that largely doesn't know what else to do i mean it's the, the, it's so it's just this limited milieu and we we just keep trying to approach it uh from different angles and it's like it reminds me of that uh famous einstein quote that you you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that created it and so that's what we're doing and that's what you were doing right you you, you were within this head-centric uh doctrine-centric approach and genuinely believe that kind of with the same level of consciousness approaching it through a through a theological lens and and that uh intellectual astuteness that you would solve the problem um and it didn't and so so i'm 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 really convinced that the only way to experience a new level of consciousness in einstein's language uh, and i would say in in jesus of nazareth's language he would say it's the kingdom of god which i believe is it, it's not a, we've talked about this it's not a place you go to but it's it's a new way of seeing everything it's a new level of consciousness and by level i don't mean a static state i mean it's just a constant growth uh, but a whole new way of seeing everything that the only way there is not only through the brilliance of the mind we're not trying to subdue the brilliance of the mind but also to really grow an awareness of the brilliance of the heart and the body and that and that reminds me you know just as a wisdom teacher um when asked and he didn't he's not the first one to say this obviously it comes from the hebrew scriptures but you know what's the greatest commandment and he says love the lord your god with your heart mind and soul uh and and of course in the Hebrew understanding of soul that is intimately and inextricably linked with the body. It, it, it was not kind of this uh, uh, later perspective coming from the Greeks of the separation of the soul from the body that um, it was this understanding of this intimate okay. connectivity. So, and I think when Jesus was answering that and quoting the Hebrew scriptures, he wasn't just naming random things. I think there was intention between between mind, heart, and and soul or body. And so it's, it's this gateway into growing an awareness that there's these brilliance, this brilliance there. But so then the question is, how do we actually, what do we mean by the intelligence of the mind, the heart and the body? And then how do we begin to grow an awareness of that? Some say activate the intelligence, some say grow an awareness of the wisdom, how do we begin to do it? And that to me is uh, the heart of the spiritual journey. Uh, And it's, it's, and we can't think our way to transformation. It's going to be, a, it's, it's going to be a very different approach. And, and one way for me, and I've, uh, what I really believe in the West, we've been taught that, okay, you've got high blood pressure, uh, you're stressed out, uh, we'll go, a, go to cognitive therapy. Um, and then if you just read some books on well being, and if you just understand something well enough, then your heart will open and your body will relax and your blood pressure will go down. And it, we know that doesn't work it's like a bandaid on a sucking chest wound. It, it just, it, it just doesn't work. Conversely, we're recognizing that if we actually start with the body that we begin to begin to work with the body, then it opens the heart and then the mind begins to follow. For example, I was talking with a, I was teaching the other day and, uh, and, uh, uh, an addiction specialist came up. We, we were talking about this dynamic of starting with the body. And they said, you know, for someone trapped in PTSD, uh, they they get in these mental loops that are stuck in their amygdala you know that primitive fight or flight part of the brain and in a PTSD there's there's no escape route out of that swirl um they you, you can't think your way out you you can you can tell someone that they're loved they're safe uh that they're no longer in crisis and that is just water off a duck's back it's you can't cognitively rescue someone in a PTSD swirl and they found the two things that were most effective to actually get a uh, opening and a bridge out of the amygdala, out of that primitive uh, uh, swirl was two things. They said biologically beta blockers, taking some beta blockers, but then also they do this thing, this practice that they would teach in their uh, uh, groups, in their addiction groups. They would call it noodling, where you literally, when you're feeling a craving uh, to, to escape your pain, uh, or when you're feeling that mental swirl that you literally just sit down or lay down and relax every single muscle in your body, like you're a wet noodle. And they, and they were just saying this, this body practice of unbracing your muscles and allowing your breath to deepen, you can literally watch the activity of the brain. That's you can't convince someone out of it cognitively, but if they relax their body, their brain says, oh, I'm safe. And the brain follows the body. The body doesn't often follow the brain, but the brain follows the body. And that's why I really believe the body is our first brain. Uh, and I would, I would then say the heart is the second brain. And then I would say our head is the third brain. Um, and so, but, but that is recognizing there is such power. And fortunately now modern research is really backing up that the power of recognizing we begin with the body, uh, but it really throws our Western, uh, traditional approach on its head.
0: Yeah. Um, for sure. Because it, it seems, um, at least like in like from an outside perspective, um, like, when you start talking to people about, like, oh, like, just, you know, trust your body, whatever, people will write you off as, like, you know, like, crazy, or hippie, or woo-woo, or something, Um, but then it is so interesting to see, like, you're saying how science is catching up, They're like, well, actually, no, there's, there, this is actually, like, legit, Um, yeah, yeah, and I, for me, um, I remember the, like, Starting to trust, like, the wisdom of your body is a weird thing. Like, I don't know. I guess it's it started because, um, and I've told this story on here before, but uh, when I, I interviewed uh, Rob Bell, and um, I had this outline that for the conversation, I tried to outline his book, Everything is Spiritual. And when I told him that, he laughed at me um, because he was like, I don't even have an outline for that book. <laughs> like, he missed the point.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, he told me to throw my outline away. And he basically said, I want you to sink down out of that beautiful Josh intellect of yours and Mm. sink down into your heart. And I want you to feel your way through this interview, not think your way through it. Yeah. And that like that was a major turning point um, for me in uh, my own spiritual journey. Um, And also Mm. at the end of that conversation, and this is, you know, a podcast for another day. um, But uh, I made a joke. To Rob, and um, basically, I said like, "Hey, Rob, like, I need a favor. If I ever write a book someday, uh, I need you to tweet out farewell, Josh Patterson." Uh, hmm. And he laughed, and which was good because it was a cheesy joke. Um, but he like, like you know, threw his head back like deep uh, belly laugh, and he said, "I'll do you one better. I'll say it right now: farewell, Josh Patterson." And when Rob said that, um, that if you want to talk about like ego death. Dude, it was insane. Like Mm -hmm. that, him saying that was like the key that like broke the illusion for me, so to speak, where Mm -hmm. I could actually see uh, my ego for what it was. um, And also that helped me. That's what helped me separate um, my identity from vocation. Like Josh's pastor, uh, which we talked about before, broke, broke free from that. Um, but yeah, like Rob was really the one that invited me, um, into this kind of space. Um, and then from there, I just, you know, started, you know, centering prayer and things like that, um, which has been helpful, but, um, oh man, lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just rambled a lot and didn't really say anything.
1: (laughs) but- <laughs> no, you did. No, I, no I, mean, I, th- I think that piece. You know what? Shared experience, did when, when yeah. When Rob said that, I do think it it broke you out of uh, this this head centric understanding of identity, uh, and invited you into, I think, a, a much more spacious place. Which I think that that can happen. Um, but then, but we can we can we do it with intention. You know, like for example, we a lot of times in life we have these aha moments that we have a a glimpse of sanity, like it's the classic CEO who has a heart attack and realizes they've spent way too much time in the office. And what really matters is their family. Uh, But then, you know, shortly after they get sucked back into the old system, you know, or we're walking along the beach and we see the sunset that all of a sudden we stop in our tracks and we realize there's this beauty that transcends no matter what dark shit is happening in the world. Like, so a lot of times we'll have these little glimpses, uh, but then they just dissipate and. Uh, I really believe that without and with intention, we can begin to cultivate the capacity to live in that greater awareness, what Thomas Keating would call spiritual awareness instead of ordinary awareness. Uh, And and it's through cultivating awareness with intention, just like riding a bike or learning how to tie your shoes, it's we can proactively engage uh, our bodies and our hearts and our minds in a way. And this is what I think Jesus taught and embodied, um, and wisdom teachers across traditions do that. Uh, and we've talked about, I know you've had Philip Shepard on your podcast, but you know, just starting out with the body, uh, I would say Philip Shepard has been my, uh, Jedi master and guru on understanding the body. And he's a dear friend now too. But one of the things he said, I I forget which book this was, but he talked about the work is not about listening to the body. It's about listening to the world through the body. It's not about subduing the brilliant intelligence in the head. It's about bringing it into a balanced unity with the body's intelligence. And what struck me there was that the body, you know, it's not listening to your body. It's listening to the world through your body. Your body is an instrument that's intrinsically and innately connected to the world and we're not separate from the world we're not listening to our body as if it's a a completely autonomous functioning island uh but the the that's what the head does the head automatically begins to say subject object the head automatically begins to separate us from them and we even perceive the world as if uh the that that we end at the level of our skin and the world's a separate place but we know in terms of physics and even biology that's rubbish that we are in, incredibly intimately connected uh, you know, energetically and uh, biologically well, with the world all around us. Um, and so and we begin to, as, as we begin to listen to that wisdom in the body, we begin to recognize their sensation. There's, we are constantly flooded with sensation uh, that we've just not paid attention to, uh, that we're numb to. And we can actually just begin to pay attention to the sensation. And I really now, after years of practicing, and I can't wait for decades and decades more, but that I, I view a sensation in my body as equal in wisdom and brilliance as a thought in my head. And, and honestly, I'm at a place where I actually trust my body's intelligence more than my head. If I have, if I, if I have dissonance between what my body is sensing and my head is thinking, I go with my body. Um And, and I've just learned over time. And again, that uh, I, I just, it's, my body's not really wrong. My head can really be wrong in it's assessment, but, but my body's not. And a lot of it is simply beginning to pay attention to the sensation, this to, to sensation. And 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 there and, and not just in a woo-woo way, but you know, Philip Shepard talks about just like we've got this cranium, which houses our 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 brain, this skull, there's a second skull, there's this pelvic bowl you know, that literally creates another skull, another protective zone. And there's this network of neural tissue. And it's not like a solid lump of neural tissue that's in our heads, but it's a network of neural tissue in the pelvic bowl in the second skull, or I would say first skull, and that that, that we can actually begin to bring our awareness to. And so one of the things that Shepard does in a lot of practices, you're almost, he he has you do this imaginative practice again and again, where you, you close your eyes and you kind of move your awareness around inside your skull. Like you bring your awareness to the front of your skull and the back of your skull. And then he says, like, there's this little hollow tube from the, the base of your skull down uh, all the way down to your, your pelvic bowl and you're kind of riding in it like an elevator and you're picturing your your awareness and your consciousness floating down through past your heart and then all the way down to the base of your pelvic bowl. And I've been in workshops with him where literally we, we would do that every five minutes. Like he would, we would do that. Then he would ask some questions and do an activity. Then we go right back and do that because he said, we're so conditioned just to be subject object in the head that we need to constantly do this practice. of. of and, and it was amazing over time, the difference of experience of living from a felt reality of connectivity uh, in the body to what a different way that my mind automatically separates myself, subject to object. And so when we talk about the intelligence of the body, uh, that's the heartbeat of it. At the beginning, it's simply beginning to grow in awareness of sensation um, uh, and, and realize that each of these sensations it is a gift, it's a messenger. Um, and it contains just as much wisdom and brilliance as what we laud as the the brilliance of the mind.
0: Well, there it is. And uh <laughs> this <clears throat> so here we go. People who are always ask me, like Josh, how do you see process theology and spirituality connecting? Greg just freaking laid it out for you. <laughs> so the sub <laughs> if you know anything about process theology, the subject object bit is huge. Um, like you have to shift your thinking away from that or else process will not make sense to you. Cause the Mm. idea is that everything is in process. Mm. Like we, I mean, when we look around you, I I look in this room, right. And I see my desk and my pen, you know, my phone, whatever as these separate objects, which is a helpful way to speak. Right. Like I can Mm. say, Greg, my phone is over there. And then that's like a very spatially helpful thing for you to know, but um the like the reality of it is all of these things are in in process. None of this is static. All of this is like like energy vibrating at a very fast frequency that makes this appear to be solid. Um, and like my skin is solid, right? But it's not it's not probable, like it's not right. you know but it is possible that if I were to take my pen and hit my hand as hard as I could, that if the molecules in the pen aligned, at the right way that Mm. you know the molecules in my hand the pen would pass right through my hand Mm. and that's because it's all a one single process it's all literally it's all connected and so when i think the the separation bit um that you mentioned is is so key because that's how i how i talk about sin sin arises from us buying into this illusion of separateness that we're separate From one another that we are separate from creation and that we're separate from god that's it and um the yeah so that that separation bit um is is huge and um learning like so i'm going to take that idea from head and and move into body now but learning to take that idea from my head and then actually um embodying that like when i do uh centering prayer um one of the sensations that I get sometimes is this, you kind of sink into this like um, state where you feel like you can feel the connectedness of everything. Like a oneness kind of can take over. You you kind of
1: dissolve, you can dissolve into a, a larger a largeness.
0: Right. And, and sink into that, which is awesome. But the, the intelligence of the body was like also something that was difficult for me at first because it felt weird but you know my spiritual director sid um did some really good embodiment work with me um where she would actually have me we would do it on zoom calls like this she would have me stand up and you know i'd be talking about something and she'd be like okay josh like yeah where does that live in your body like where do you feel that Mm. Mm -hmm. um like i literally i just did this with her before i went uh to camp i was telling her that. I have this uh, sense of like repression that like a big part of who I am is being uh, repressed and like wants to mm. come out. Um, mm. And like, I, I mean, I talked to you about this before. Like, I love my job, but like, there's a, like a lack of fulfillment. Um, mm. And like that part of me um, wants to come out, which was cool. I got to express it a lot at camp and also doing yeah. podcasts like this. But she asked me, like, okay, well, where do you feel that repression in your body? And, like, for me, it was immediate. Um, The first time I was asked a question like that, I was like, I don't don't fucking know. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Um, But this time it was immediate. And it actually, it sat right here in my sternum. Um, Hmm. And so, like, she had me stand up. And, um, you know, I was pointing to my sternum. And she asked me some questions and then, like, had me... um, like do some like she say if your body like if you had to do a, a movement with your body mm-hmm. to um express that feeling or to like basically to release it how would you what what would that look like and so like just doing that and like following it sounds weird but following your body and like whatever it was it was a really cool like deep it, experience and you it yes. like it does something to you um, yes uh, like when I I very clearly remember standing there. Um, Fully aware of where I felt this in my body, doing a you know weird hand motion thing, and as I was doing that, I caught myself starting to slip into the same kind of place I can access through centering prayer, Mm -hmm. and it like freaked me out because I was one. I was standing up and I didn't want to fall over, (laughs) but also like I'm on Zoom call with Sid. (laughs) Yeah, uh, right. But like just this expression of my body, it like released tension, but then also that sense of oneness like started to i don't know it felt true is yeah does that make sense
1: it makes total sense and 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 again this is some it's kind of wild you know this is the capacity of 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 head-centric uh spirituality but again i got to the point where i could write dissertations on the fact that we're connected but that won't change you right until it's a felt experience of you know to me this whole journey is shifting from mere intellectual belief systems or systems of doctrine to actual inner experience and that's true across the board in terms of experiencing love and in terms of experiencing connectivity uh and and until we're willing to begin to shift open up that maybe the mind is too limited in, in its capacity uh to to really live fullness of life and and open up to some of these things that might more traditionally would be considered woo-woo but they're not and now again you, we talked about science backing it up i was reading um malcolm gladwell's book i forget which one i was re- reading but he talked about this particular experiment uh and i think it was maybe at the university of iowa and they gave people two decks of cards one one blue and one red and each card had a dollar amount on it and these either positive dollar amount or negative dollar amount and the goal of the game you could draw from the blue or red deck and the goal of the game is at the end of it you had a positive amount of money instead of a negative amount of money uh and but of course one of the tricks was the red decks were like a minefield that they would have big chunks of change in there but they had much bigger losses uh and ultimately if you only pulled from the red you would lose money but the blues were the safe deck if you played the blues and ultimately uh, you would win, and so the question—the question was: When did people discover uh, that the blue deck uh, was the safe one? And they said that cognitively speaking, it was about averaging about fifty cards. At about fifty cards, they had to begin to have a sense, like they couldn't explain it, but they began at fifty cards. They had a sense that the blue cards were the safe deck, uh, and then it, at eighty cards, they could name that the blue deck was the safe deck. So, so ter- in terms of their cognitive process. Uh, their capacity to know that the blue deck was safe. 50 was kind of an intuitive sense, maybe. And 80 was when they could lock it down rationally. But then what they did, a really interesting experiment, where they hooked their fingers up to the sweat glands, you know, to, to sensors with their sweat glands and to the stress rep- response in the body. So so they were listening. When, when would the body begin to feel stress uh, when they were pulling from the red or blue decks? And and it was crazy. I'm going to pull up the specific statistics. So the participants started generating a, rest, a stress response to the red decks by the tenth card. So it, so so it was 40 cards before they even had a emotional intuition that it might not be safe. Within 10 cards, the body was issuing a stress response to the red deck and not the blue deck. And we're just recognizing this conclusion. Uh, and two. Even before they were aware of it, their behavior started changing. As soon as the body was suddenly responding stressfully, then subconsciously, unconsciously, they started pulling from the blue more than the red. So, all, what we're saying is that the body is so dialed, so much quicker at processing, so much more dialed in than the, the response from the head. That we have the capacity to cultivate this awareness, and it's not woo-woo. It just it's it's an innate sense of knowing that the body has, and we're simply growing an awareness of what I think you know. Some cultures already do far more than we do in the West. There's there's particular uh, groups and people groups. You know, for example, one thing is we we says oh there's five senses. Of course there's five senses. Th- those are five chosen senses. There's so many more senses than that, but we think that's it. These five chosen senses. But one sense in other cultural countries is balance. They say balance is a whole nother sensory experience. And because they choose to view that as a sense, you'll have two year olds that can balance. Uh, this incredible heavy object on their head and walk, you know, uh, half a mile without spilling it. You take any adult, just about in a Western context, and they're not going to be able to do that because we haven't cultivated that ability because we don't appreciate that that sense. But even even that Western approach to five senses, it's just five chosen things. We are so shut down. We've viewed the head as this gorgeous Stradivarius violin. It's priceless, but we view the heart and the body as kind of these kazoos that are just not worthy of our attention or awareness. And so so I do think both science and spirituality is we begin to cultivate the capacity to experience it from the inside out instead of just being able to freaking describe it, which never leads to fullness of life, which doesn't lead to what it means to be fully human and to experience the potential of this life.
0: Dude, for sure. And I think I, so when you were talking, I think it was interesting because you said like, oh, I could you know, out of time, I could write a dissertation about these things, but I didn't have that actual felt experience. Yeah. And there's something um, that like, I don't know, maybe you've noticed this, but it frustrates me so much, <laughs> because it just continues to reinforce the head centric thing. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people, um, I'm not going to name names, because I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just trying to describe <laughs> something. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who have like been writing books from a christian perspective on spirituality recently but when you read them at least for me you can tell when somebody is coming just from their head and not from yeah. lived and felt experience and yeah. there's so many number one best-selling christian spirituality books out there right now oh yeah that are like I've tried to read them and like sorry to the author but like it's you're missing it (laughs) Hmm. because what they're doing is they're just writing about it and it's it's still Hmm. all here they're still stuck in their head and i think yeah like you can feel like i don't know how to describe it but you can feel it like in the same way when you read uh the mystics yeah they are there you can feel it they do something like um i feel like they can they the mystics draw from a deep sense of wisdom that exists already within you. They're, and yeah. they're just kind of reawakening you to that uh, reawakening you to it or like yes. helping you remember. Whereas yeah. like this other stuff is like this pseudo spirituality that's all head centric and it's still getting people stuck in the mind.
1: <laughs> right. What's that same level of consciousness that created the problem?
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's been like so frustrating to me. Because then there's like these gatekeepers of it. Um, and it's like it, it just one way that I've described it before. I think I've probably even said this on the podcast is like the spirituality, which I think like, you know, you don't have to be religious to be spiritual. Like, I think I think everything is spiritual to steal Rob's language. But um, the yeah. the um, like spirituality is like a flowing river. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times what happens is uh, people take a bucket and they dip it into the stream and pull it out and then say, this is the thing, you know, pointing into their bucket, which you're not wrong. (laughs) But at the same time, (laughs) it's not the whole thing. And it's no longer alive. It's no longer flowing. It's no longer doing what the river is supposed to do, which is to flow. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it seems like that's happening a lot um in this resurgence of cuz i think people the world is changing and i think the to sound woo woo for a second i think the the level again air quotes of consciousness is actually um at at a point where it's like trying to increase collective consciousness yeah. in the world is trying to yes. increase and there's like this fear um from religion specifically i want to say from christians uh because like this kind of more spiritual and embodiment stuff is becoming popular they don't know what to do with it so now they're trying to put out their own books and stuff about it but they don't right. they don't yeah. understand <laughs> it's just coming right. eccentric I, I don't know i'll stop on that but that,
1: no i'm no that's it i, I and, and this is the church and i have a, a deep i mean i'm an or, ordained episcopal priest so i'm in the system right and but i have such a deep love hate uh for the institution it, it tends to air a little more uh on, on the hate side most days, but. It's when we look at the history of the church. You know, you, you look at s- systems within culture that begin to change. Usually, the, the artists and the philosophers are at the cutting edge of change and transformation, and then you have system, You know, political systems are fairly slow, uh, but the caboose—the last one to always change—is institutional religion. It's—it's it's just we are the slowest to adapt, and we're terrified of it. Just like. Uh, when Copernicus and Galileo came out and said that the Earth—it's—it's it's not a, a Earth-centric uh, universe, but a heliocentric uh, solar system—that it wasn't this during the Reformation. It wasn't just the Catholics who I think I think the Catholics officially pardoned Galileo in the '90s, 1990s, uh, because you know they, they they accused him of being a heretic. I think the Catholics should officially, and but then even Martin Luther said uh, that he should be locked up and uh, even beaten. Uh, because he was so challenging their understanding of, and then of course the enlightenment did the same thing. and the church is always terrified with new scientific discovery or the idea of the big bang or evolution or anything like that. it's it's just so terrified in its capacity to change. But this is something and the irony is if we go back especially to, to the first century and understanding the wisdom tradition uh, and that that milieu of spiritual teaching, it was it was so embraced and we've just we've forgotten so much of what was embodied you know, at that time, but to me, this, this, this capacity beginning to shift to experience uh, one thing, I think one simple practice and to get practical, I think what your therapist had you do uh, is begin to, and it it might feel like learning to ride a bike, which adults, you know, we don't like learning new things because we don't like feeling, feeling incompetent. But we have to, you know, we have to be willing to feel like a, a, a goof and a doofus and feel feel completely incompetent if we want to grow this way. But your willingness to say, where do I feel it in my body? That is such a brilliant question. I ask that all the time. Um, and you know, where do I feel it in my body? And I can honestly say, if I'm trying to make a decision about an issue, if I where I feel it, if I feel it kind of up in my chest or in my solar plexus, it's not settled yet. When I feel it down in kind of my pelvic bowl, when I feel it down in the base of my body it feels so solid and I, i've got you know i've got uh, folks that work with me at second breath and, and people in my life that don't they they've so learned my language and the way i do this They'll so just say well where do you feel in your body when we're making a decision and if they if, if i see oh i really feel it down in my guts they're like okay well it's a green light then and we'll go with it so you know it really is where do you feel it in your body um how does that feel and another huge thing that i think begins to get us out of our head is body practices i mean some can be like i said that noodling unbracing your body which signals to your brain that you're safe another way to, that is really helpful to shift from intellectual belief systems to felt experience or breath practices you know we we teach a ton of different breath modalities we'll shoot traditions from across the world have been teaching those forever and it was huge in that you know even throughout scripture and especially in the, the first few centuries with the desert fathers and mothers that would teach breath prayer and understanding breath is central. And, but when we, when we uh, intentionally alter some of our breathing, like one simple one is just, breathe in through the nose slowly for five seconds and then don't pause at the top, exhale through the nose slowly for five seconds, no pause at the bottom. And it's kind of the circular conscious connected breathing. If you do that, there's, there's incredible research on this. If you breathe that way, I mean, you could, you know, just start gentle with yourself, just start for like two or three minutes, but if you can work up 20 minutes of breathing that way and you can do this when you're in a meeting, no one knows you're doing it. So it's not like a weird thing, but you can do this, but it is, um, what that does to the body. If you kind of check your, how your body's feeling and then breathe that way for five minutes and then check in how your body, I guarantee you, it will be, it be a completely different state. And especially if you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep, the breathing that way is a godsend. I'm telling you, like what, what it does is it signals to the body that you're safe. It, it, research has indicated that it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is like your fire alarm and your parasympathetic is like the fire extinguisher. And so it's, it, what it does is it, when we breathe that way, it shifts our bodies and then our minds follow suit. And all of a sudden, hopefully you would be zonked back out. But, you know, it's just so little, you know, uh, body practices, uh, because everything's spiritual body practices help us make this, uh, transition. And it's that practical. I really think it's that practical.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, breath for me is, is been huge. Like, I mean, two very basic practices, Breath work and centering prayer, and I combine yes. them. I do breathing yep. work while I do centering prayer, and like that, yep. game changer. And like centering prayer is easy; you can like figure learn how to do it on a two-minute YouTube video. Um, it's not; <laughs> it's not hard. It's just right. then you, but you have to practice it so you know you can build up, build up, um, you know, um, your ability to do it because I mean, it does sitting still and not doing anything
1: is especially beyond. for both of us with with add uh, yes yeah. so
0: if i could yeah. do it then i know other people
1: can yes i've always said that i've always said look if i could do this anybody could do this anybody
0: because i'm adhd as af i mean you can see me sitting <laughs> like fidgeting as we're talking um
1: yeah you literally have a fidget spinner literally. while we're talking
0: yeah I see washington yeah. capitalist um done nice. And I think one thing, too, that um, makes can make this difficult or scary for some people is that um, we were taught, at least growing up for me, evangelicals, you cannot trust your heart.
1: The yes. heart is no, you can't. The heart deceitful
0: above all the w- wicked above all. Yes, things. Yep. it's evil. It's wicked. You cannot trust your experience. The only thing that you trust is the word of God. And so
1: and let me tell you exactly what that is right <laughs> <laughs> let me give you the proper interpretation it, of the word it is. of god yeah yes. so don't even trust your mind but trust our system our framework of telling you what the word of god says right
0: yeah and it just it's crazy man and i get that fear because i had that fear because basically then it gets instilled in you that oh like your heart really what you're doing when you listen that's satan that's the devil like trying yes. to tempt you and make you do bad stuff and whatever yep and like i know it can get you can, you know, you can swing the other way and you can just get like a Disney fairy princess, like just trust your heart kind of thing. And that's, yeah. different. <laughs> that's yeah. different. That's different. That's not totally about. different. But, um, like one, one, and I I shared this story with you before and on this podcast, but I'll share it again. Um, just because I think it, it was a pivotal point for me. Cause it was the first time I actually trusted my body and my heart. Um, and it was, when I was working at the first brewery I worked at, I was the general manager and I freaking hated it. I was mm-hmm. super stressed out. I was never home. I, I didn't get to see my wife. Like the customers were uppity and were not very nice, <laughs> like all <laughs> sorts of stuff. Actually, like oddly enough, I hated being GM for a lot of the same reasons. I hated being a pastor. Um, which was a whole that's another thing, but anyway. <laughs> um, and I had been telling Noelle, like, I'm stressed. I don't like this. I can't do it. Um, I don't know what to do. She was like, well, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, I basically, I support you and like, whatever you want to do. So one day, um, one morning I was, uh, doing prayer here in this very room, I was sitting on the floor right behind me and, um, I was doing centering prayer. And then, um, I used to do this, uh, thing, imaginative prayer, which I I yeah. do sometimes, uh, that Sid taught me, and uh, so I was doing like imaginative prayer, and um, in that, you know, in that space, um, I had like Jesus was at the the bar at this brewery with me, and I had done this before, and typically Jesus would sit at the end of the bar, um, whenever I I did these prayers, but this time Jesus wasn't at the bar, and I was like, where is Jesus? And uh, Jesus was at the door, and it was like it's time to go. And, um, but like, then there was like a few people in between me and Jesus. And he was like, "But well, first, like you need to forgive some people. And so like, I hmm. had this like, you know, experience, um, forgave those people and then left with Jesus, you know, out the door. And then I was like, when I was done praying, I was like, all right, well, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to quit today. <laughs> <laughs> And then I did. <laughs>
1: mm,
0: yeah. I resigned. I resigned. But I know that imaginative prayer thing sounded weird, but it was it was a deep no. felt experience yeah, that yes. I felt both in my heart and in my body that then my mind yep. confirmed. So, when, yes. you know, we talk about these three centers of knowing, and it's not like, you know, one is necessarily better than the other. But when we can no, it's alignment, alignment, yeah, that's huge. And that experience, like, it was the right thing. And I went, I resigned. I, I wasn't nervous about it. I wasn't scared. Um, and it went great. I just, mm-hmm. then I was like, all right, I'm just going to be a bartender here now until, um, you know, I find another job and they were supportive and, um, yeah, it was, it just, I don't know. It I, that was yeah. the first time I made a decision that way. And it was awesome.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. As we begin to, it is, it's cultivation and intention and you begin, and I do think centering breath and centering prayer, I mean, in terms of the capacity of learning to quiet the mind, learning to recognize that we are not our thoughts, uh, that we are not, we are not our feelings either. Our feelings have so much to share with us, but when we begin to have a, a, a recognize that there is this, we have the capacity to observe our thoughts and our feelings. Um, and that we're not trying to run away from them, we can welcome them. Uh, but we're, we're not uh, enslaved by them. You know, most people Buddhists talk about the monkey mind where you're just your, your brain is like shooting thoughts out like a little busy monkey jumping from branch to branch. And, and it just is so yeah, just so on the move. And most people think they're their thoughts. And live kind of enslaved to that, but we can in centering prayer. You begin to withdraw your attention from those thoughts, and those thoughts are like leaves floating down the stream. And you're going to find yourself climbing on you. If if most people try to withdraw from their thoughts, you're going to do really well for probably two to three seconds, um, and then you're going to be on this. But but that's not a failure. The point is to not have no not to not have any thoughts. You're going to have thoughts, but you begin to learn to withdraw your attention from them and observe them. And then you begin to ask the question: Where am I observing from? Uh, and you begin to realize there's this deeper spaciousness, uh, that within, um, and same with the emotions. And so, and, and that's what I love. So, so, so that's the body. So the body is this, this brilliant instrument that we're not listening to the body. We're listening to the world through the body. And then the heart in its same way is also this gorgeous, uh, center of intelligence that is so full of wisdom. It's, and it's more than just a seat. It's more than just a pump for our blood uh, and it's not just a machine that keeps the body alive. So the head can flourish, but, and it's not just the seat of our emotions. Uh, I love Cynthia Bourgeau. She talks about, but it's, it's this antenna. It's this compass point. That's always pointing to the divine, um, that, and I'm not just talking about like what you're saying, whatever emotions float through reactively, but that we, in the same way that we can settle into the deeper sensation of the body just in the same way that we can get a quiet mind and we can kind of be sure of our thoughts in the same way that we can settle into the brilliance of our hearts and it's and, and what i believe is that that we don't have to uh Rumi said it best and i'm going to get this wrong because this is a paraphrase but he says we don't have to seek for love we only have to remove those barriers that we've built up in our hearts against it. And, and what he's saying is that we're not separate from love, that we are immersed and saturating in divine love and presence. You know, as, as Paul said to the philosophers in Athens, you know, in God, we live and move and have our being. You know, that's this language of saturation. So we're, we don't have to seek it. We've got it. We, we've we've had it the whole time. We're just simply growing in awareness of it. And so these practices, heart-centered practice, so body-based practices begin to grow us in awareness of the sensations of the body and the brilliance there. Heart-centered practices grow us in awareness of uh, the already present compassion that is within us. Allow us to receive it more deeply, and almost like Drano, just begin to wash away the gunk in the pipes that prevent us from being able to give and receive love and compassion. Uh, and and then as we dial into the that already present compassion, uh, it's it is that antenna. It's it's that it's that antenna always dialed into divine frequency to get a little weird with my metaphor but I do think there's some some real experiential truth to that metaphor
0: I know for sure the way and like the way that I would talk about heart is like heart is like where I've learned to see from Mm. if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. heart because heart like for me I've always been a big feeler so like heart Mm. was easier for me um Mm. like I like just um I don't know. And I feel like the more um, you practice this kind of stuff, the more your heart opens. Yeah, And then like that's been weird because then like I watch something and and it'll make me cry and I'll be like, what the why? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'll, I'll make fun of myself. Last night I watched the NHL draft and like watching <laughs> yeah, these I saw kids. you I
1: saw you putting it on social media about that yeah
0: yeah and watching these like young kids get drafted and like seeing how excited they were and like their parents emotions like it made me cry and I was like what the yeah. fuck is wrong with me like I don't know <laughs> these people <laughs> but it was just this place of like I don't know you can when, once your heart is open like that that uh the connection it just feels so much it's more real I guess yeah but And when when I was saying about like learning to see through the heart, I think that's when you you talked about the kingdom of God earlier, I think that's where you, I think that's how you access the kingdom of God. Um, It's through the heart. It teaches you how to see. Cause like the, the way I'll talk about is that the kingdom of God is, is, is here. It's present. um, If you have eyes to see. And I think the eyes to see have to come from the heart though.
1: Um,
0: And then that opens you up to see that like, yeah, I've said this a million times on here, but like every bush is a burning bush. Um, yes, like e- yep. like the entire world is immersed within the the presence of the divine, and that's why like Thich Nhat Han, he would teach that if you could come and touch deeply this present moment, you know, bring your awareness here and just be fully here, it is then that you can touch the kingdom of God, mm. because here in the present moment is the only is the only place you can experience. Anything,
1: yeah, and
0: so if you want to experience relationship with each other or with God, the only place you can do that is in the here and now. <laughs> you yeah. can't, ex- yeah, you can't experience God in the past or the future because you don't, you're not in any of those places, you don't have access <laughs> right. there. So, yep. when you can come to that awareness of the present moment and touch it deeply, then you can. That's like the kingdom of God is among you, the kingdom of God is within, right? right and, on. Then, and it still works, you know, if I want to use my nice NT right language, like. You know, it's an already not yet kingdom because people look around outside and you can be like, what do you mean the kingdom of God is here? Like, you know, there's people killing each other in the streets and da 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 da. I'm like, well, it's already not yet. If you have eyes to see it, you can see it, but yeah. not everybody sees it. And so, if yeah. not everybody sees it, not everybody can live into it. Yes. So it's not an exclusionary thing. It's not like no. we're saying those people aren't in the kingdom of God. They are, they just don't know it. <laughs> right. And, as, and we can awaken people to that reality through this kind of stuff, through the opening of the heart, through the teaching yeah. people, the intelligence of the body and, and, um, through aligning, uh, these three great centers of knowing, um,
1: it, it, it reminds me what you we were just sharing about, even just kind of your the, the tears and the uh, the NHL draft and watch these families. But I mean, I think this is an approaching approaching things. To, it, it reminds me of what Jesus said about the um let you know unless you become like a little kid you're not going to enter the kingdom. And it's, and again, entering the kingdom is not inside or outside. I think it was growing an awareness of what already is, but how's, you know, what's a kid like, you know, a kid is curious. A kid is full of wonder and awe a cure. A kid is so led in there by their heart. You know, they'll come into, they break all the rules culturally. They come in and start screaming and playing and laughing and they don't care because they're, they're living from this exuberance from the inside out from the heart. They'll also cry and be grumpy and it's you know so it's the whole we talked about our last conversation it's the whole spectrum you know to to live from the heart isn't just trying to get uh the uh polly anna happy clappy uh stuff uh it, it is the the full expression and experience and, uh, and my my experience maybe was slightly different than yours because i'm just i'm a really deep feeler like you're a deep feeler but when i was young i was such a deep feeler that i just tried to numb that shit out hard because it was too much to bear so I, you know, I started smoking weed in in, in the sixth, seventh grade um, and then up to the, the drug game pretty significantly as the pain threshold became more and more intense because I was just trying to numb it. And then I had my spiritual awakening. I became a Christian. And then my next drug of choice for trying to feel good and numb out the pain was Christianity. I tried to uh, weaponize uh, Christianity against uh, b- painful feelings and just thinking if I could just have an experience with the Holy spirit and get my doctrine set enough. And, and I'll feel solid enough that I'll be unflappable regardless of what happens. And as I begin to see, like that was actually just as equal in terms of a harmful numbing agent as cocaine, uh, that, or some other things that i did that that i started actually opening up to feel my feelings and then it was just like in my heart then it was when i first really opened up to feel my feelings and was choosing choosing not to push them away but allow them all to flow dude i was like oh my fucking god this i'm gonna get crushed i can't handle this like it was so overwhelming you know the 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 pain the loneliness the grief the sadness that i had been pushing away for decades you know started washing over but then you begin to recognize if you're willing to stay with it uh and as we talked about last time the bandwidth the degree to which you're willing to open up to the depth of joy is totally uh consistent uh and congruent with the depth on the other side if you want to if you only want to have a little bit of pain you're only gonna have a little bit of light and and same but conversely if you open up and this is why jesus you know he would weep and then he would laugh and it was the full bandwidth of the human experience but but to me that's that's opening up to the heart is the willingness to welcome whatever is flowing in the present moment and we're not judging it we're not judging ourselves we're not judging others but if all of a sudden i'm swelling up with loneliness we allow ourselves to feel it and we also can a place of observing it and and it just says and we don't see that i am a lonely person or i am an angry person here's this emotion that's flowing through us um and being present to it and welcoming what's ever there Uh, that's very buddhist and it's also i think very christian but i think this is this is this invitation to experience and if we are willing to do that which is hard work especially for deep feelers my god i mean it it, most days i'm not someone that struggles to get out of bed but i do kind of say Oh God, what's, what's going to flow today. Um, and and sometimes it feels like a, a real heavy weight when I look at what's going on in the world or in my life, uh, but it is the willingness to, to be present to what is. And then like you're saying, all of a sudden, when I'm compassionate with myself that way, uh, I, I wouldn't, I would, I would dial, I would dial it down this way. Learning to activate the intelligence of the heart is learning to treat ourselves with the same kindness and kindness with which God treats us. And so, as I'm compassionate with, I often receive that. All of a sudden, I'm beginning to see through the eyes of compassion. You saw that a family and start weeping because you're vibing on the same frequency as what they're experiencing. And this is why a head-centric Pharisee would see a leper and say they're judged by God, whereas Jesus would see through the kingdom of God and say there is a, a a brother who's suffering. And instead of them touching me and becoming unclean, I'm going to touch them and they're going to become clean. And so it 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 it. It evokes a whole new way of being in us to see everything. Like you're saying, that the world's charged with the grandeur of God. Every uh, blade of grass, leaf, person, ant is popping with beauty and radiance of of divine energy. And as we open to that, we begin to see that all around. And then we live differently. And that's our invitation, what you're talking about, this collective consciousness, why we do what we do is to create sacred space for people to begin to open up to this new way of seeing and that's how the world is going to change i think that's the next evolutionary leap the next evolutionary leap is not physical in nature in terms of an expanded cranium i think it's going to be this leap in consciousness of an awareness of our already existing connectivity and the need then for us to live in compassion live from the heart i hope so (laughs) <laughs> yeah I don't, that, I don't think it's going to happen in a lifetime but maybe we can move the ball down the field at least a yeah, couple of inches
0: yeah and that's that's the goal right is is um moving that by by living into it and um i think by living into it we genuinely genuinely have the ability to impact and push you know push it further right. and i think when everybody you know collectively does that it you know it moves but um the i think what you're saying about negative emotions is super important because i'm the same way like i'm i'm a deep feeler but i i try to numb out and push away negative experience um so that's yeah we're similar in that i think too that's like uh i don't like am not overly familiar with the enneagram but i know people like it um and like i'm a seven wing eight yep and part of being That's, that's a, exactly what I am. That's yeah, exactly what that's, I am. That's why we're friends,
1: because <laughs> we because we see the world the right way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, and so, but part part of that comes with the uh, leaning into positive experience and then trying to push away negative experience. Yes, and so like big time that yeah, and we talked about before, like joy um, is the ability to hold both of those things. Uh, yeah the positive and the negative experience um and like you said see it and embrace it and uh, that's what like that's probably been one of the biggest things i've been working on is is that trying that because i've i've tried you know numb it in different ways you know um beer or just hanging out with my friends or you know studying theology reading is an escape oh yeah um yeah listening to podcasts uh which is why i think the the practice of silence has become so helpful for me because mm. silence can be scary because then you don't you don't have the things to distract you and when you're silent um and you just you sit in silence and in presence like all of that shit comes up and mm-hmm. bubbles to the surface and then you have to face it or or you don't you don't have to um right you can push it back down um, but that's that's been the biggest challenge for me is just learning to sit in silence um and taking away like you know part of the reason i stopped this podcast was because i needed to take away
1: <laughs> yeah
0: you know um and i've like more more recently like started lowering the amount of reading i've been doing significantly um to the point where i'm almost getting to a spot where like i'm just not reading stuff right now cuz i just need mm. I just mm-hmm. need the silence, yeah. um, and trying to lean into that and trust that. And so, um, yeah,
1: that, that that's, it, it reminds me of, you know, that, that the silent, and again, this is just for my slight OCD in terms of making sure we round the horn to hit all three centers. So we've talked about the body. We've talked about the heart and one of the head, but the head is what in silence, uh, it begins to manufacture some, some serious shit bubbles up and it, it reminds, I was just listening. To uh, Alanis Morissette's uh, breakout album the other day, this is this dates me, but it was I think "Jagged Little Pill." "Jagged Little Pill," I love that album. (laughs) That's it's a great album, right? It's and and but I think the opening track "Jagged Little Pill." She says, "Why are you so petrified of silence? Here, can you handle this?" And she has like three beats of silence, and she says, "Did you think about your bills, your ex, your deadlines, or when you think you're going to die, or did you long for the next distraction?" And that's what happens, you know, in silence. We tend to avoid it. And shit that we've been avoiding maybe for decades begins to bubble up. And I think it was Annie Dillard who said, in silence, you know, in, in the inner depth are the terrors that psychiatrists have warned you about. And, and so the question is, you know, why why begin to go there? Why open up to that space? Um, and the reality is avoiding it. Repressing it, that shit is still defining every second of your experience of reality in the negative, right? You can't escape it, so it's 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 defining your experience of all reality. And either we do it in a way of denial, it completely fucks with us, but we don't even have any control; it's just bubbling out like lava anywhere it wants to. Or if we if we're willing to wade into the silence, which can feel like emptiness, then underneath the the tears that the psychiatrist we find God. I mean, if underneath is the divine, underneath is ourselves, and underneath is uh, full living. But but it has to be the willingness uh, to enter into that initial terror. And interestingly enough, another uh, thing that I was taught when I was uh, an evangelical, and again, this isn't blanket statement. We have to do that disclaimer each time on all evangelicals. But I was taught never quiet your mind, uh, because that's when the if you quiet your mind, that's when the demons come in. Um, There's that that verse of, you know, the demons swept the house clean, but then the house was empty. So it got a demon six times more powerful and talk about it out of context story. But so it's kind of like, so I was taught, Oh, no, don't do centering prayer. That's if you sweep your mind clean, you need to keep it cluttered uh, with thoughts, which, and, and, and what I've just found is first of all, that's, that's a terrible, horrible interpretation of that uh, passage of scripture. Uh, But I, I really believe ironically, it's one of the worst advice ever to to keep keep your mind clutter. If you if you want, I really believe the enemy of transformation is noise. That that I, that if if we want to keep ourselves static and stuck, uh, in in where we are, just keep your mind completely occupied by whatever thought and noise that is bubbling through, and you will never experience transformation. But that we need to kind of step out of the wind uh, into a little nook of quiet and stillness. Um, And that does not necessarily mean you have to be, you know, for those with ADD like us, it can be a quiet walk in the woods. You know, it could be giving your attention completely to a leaf for three minutes and watching the exquisite and looking at the exquisite detail that you've walked past this leaf a billion times. But now you see it's a universe unto itself. Right. And it begins to pop wonder. But it's all these little things that take us out of autopilot. Uh, and autopilot and noise are the enemies of, I think, transformation and evolution of consciousness. And so if we are willing to do these things that step us out of autopilot, it creates that space for us to, to grow in that awareness. And I think centering prayer is like one of the best, uh, most accessible, uh, ways to, to step out of the wind.
0: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, man. And I, I recently, um, read this book into the silent land, uh, by Martin Laird. Um, it was fantastic. I really liked it. Actually, I sent a copy to, to, uh, to Marty. So shout out Marty. Um, so read the book, Marty. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Um come on, Marty.
1: Come on, Marty.
0: (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's just been the thing for me. And like when in silence, it's then when you can realize all the things that you use to distract yourself. Cause like you said, those negative, just cause you're not feeling those negative uh, things consciously doesn't mean you're not actually feeling them because you're subconsciously right. it's there and your body yep. and heart are holding those things. Yep. And that's going to impact you um, deeply. And so like, you might as well let that shit out. <laughs> you might yep. as well at least become aware of it uh, because once you can become aware, then you can seek understanding. And once you have understanding, understanding leads to compassion like yeah, you were talking about earlier the compassion uh for yourself which then yep. in turn gives you compassion for other people
1: um, it, it, it reminds me of a story i love parker palmer you know in terms of he as as a, a quaker theologian but he was he was told a story once that i heard he said he's terrified of heights and so he wanted to kind of push through his fear so he went uh repelling um and so he gets up on top you know of this cliff he's he's you know he's he's roped it in and the instructor i think this is outward bound the instructor's telling him to begin to back off the, if you're on repelling you know you have to put your feet you know at the cliff's edge and you begin to lower your back down and the instructor said don't look down and so he he was i think he got about five feet maybe 100 feet in the air and he's about five feet off or maybe five ten feet off the the, the lip of the cliff and he makes a mistake of looking down and he totally i mean you know triggers his amygdala total freeze response he can't move <coughs> and so he shouts out to the the guy belaying him and then the guy up top, you know, look, you got to pull me up. Uh, I can't move. And the guy was like, I, I can't pull you up, man. Uh, he's like, you got to go down. He's like, that's not an option. You know, uh, I-, I can't. And then the guy just said, look, you've got to keep moving your body. The only way is for you to keep moving down. And so he was livid. He was pissed. He was angry. But then, you know, after a few minutes, he realized, look, there's no one coming to rescue him off this rock. You know, this is his situation. Um, and that's when, and that's when the, the 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 belay guy yelled out the motto of uh, Outward Bound, which is, if you can't get out of it, get into it. Um, and initially, Parker Palmer's like, "Don't give me that tri bullshit," you know. Uh, but then he was like, "No, but it's truth. I can't get out of this, and so I might as well get into it." And then his feet started wobbling down the cliff face, and he made it all the way down. And the truth is, we can't get out of our inner journey. We can't get out of what's happening on the inside, like you're saying. We can't escape it. This shit is defining either subconsciously or consciously our experience of every second of every day. And the more we repress it, the more we're going to have this fear-based us versus them anxious life. But if we're willing to step into, if we can't get out of it, we actually have the courage to get into it. Yes. It's going to bubble up shit that maybe we've been repressing for decades. It's going to come up, but, but we uh, have the capacity to actually heart capacity, body capacity, head capacity to work through it. And that's where there's that fullness of life, but it does require, I think, a certain level of uh, desperation, which is like the blessed or the porn spirit, right? Until you are at the point of this shit's not working. I need to do something else that we're actually willing to open up to experience pain, but with a hope uh, that there's something more beautiful underneath it. I mean, that's, I think that's what we're, and, and it doesn't end, man. That doesn't fucking end. Like every time I think I've worked through some mega deep shit and I'm going to have a little oasis time, all of a sudden some new bubbles up. I'm like, come on. But it, but then again, it just is, there's also, again, equal, equal, uh, loneliness and grief is equal joy and presence and love. You know, it's, it's all there together.
0: Yeah. It's like, um, they're two, two sides of the same coin, so to speak, like, Oh, excuse me. You can't have one without the other. And I think that's one thing too, that, um, that's been difficult because like from a, Head perspective, like I try to explain away something like the problem of evil or whatever. (laughs) But then (laughs) in in reality, experientially, like it just like those are it's helpful arguments, but then experientially it's just that's not (laughs) that's not how life works. Uh and like you I don't know. I think unfortunately, like Richard Roard talks about it, he says it sucks, but like suffering is a great teacher. Like suffering is like perhaps the greatest teacher. Um And he talks about like, often it takes for substantial change in somebody's life, it takes a moment of great suffering. Um, yeah. And if you're willing to step into it, like lean into it, like you were saying, um, lean into the darkness, not run from it, not repress it. Yeah. It is actually by going into the darkness and through the darkness um, that then we come out on the other side.
1: Yeah. That, and
0: that's, that's been the, the hardest thing. Cause it's scary. Cause it's dark. It's, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. But, uh, and, and you can't feel like you're going to get stuck. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah. Roy, I think may, and maybe uh, this is maybe in the same talk, but he talked about this too. The the, the two primary vehicles of authentic transformation are suffering in spiritual practice. Yep. And so like, I would prefer spiritual practice uh, cause there's enough shit, but, but that's honestly why, I mean, that, that got me into it. And I can say just anecdotally in my own story, that it's through spiritual practice that there's been the most transformation and coins dropping and listening to my heart and the courage to follow my heart, um, and, and, and trust that the kingdom of God is within and that, that, you know, that there is this divine presence and I'm connected that way. I mean, that's what led me out of the evangelical world and becoming an Episcopal priest, you know, it's led me to make these massive decisions Is that, that trust of the heart, um, and being willing to feel these feelings. So yeah, so that's I mean, so to nutshell, I know that we dialed in at the beginning, but I would say that to nutshell it, that's that's the body, the intelligence body, that's the heart and the mind, and just in a very, very small nutshell because we've already talked about it, but it's not about downloading more data or getting more information, but it's actually it's learning to actually quiet uh the mind, to step out of the uh gust of the monkey mind and begin to allow your mind to to quiet from that place of uh I am not my thoughts. Um, but like, I'm the big blue sky and my thoughts are like little clouds blowing through um, and, and cultivating that centering prayer, I think is one of the most powerful ways to cultivate real intelligence of the mind, not not uh, more data, but real intelligence of the mind, which is that place of observer. And then we can actually learn to choose to give attention to those thoughts that are helpful and allow some of the swirling unhelpful thoughts to pass by like those leaves on a stream. So that's kind of mindfulness too. that's that whole approach. But and again, once we have all three of those centers in aligned and in, in, in alignment and cultivating that awareness, that's when I feel like we lean into the fullest potential of what it means to be human.
0: I yeah, I'm with you. I think that's well said. And I'll just um I'll give one more thought on on the mind thing. Um, and I guess we can get ready and wrap up. But um there's a temptation that exists, oh dear listeners, <laughs> when you start hearing and talking about this kind of stuff uh to like go out and you know buy a bunch of books about it and you know about sending prayer and contemplation and mysticism and all this kind of stuff not that i would ever do anything like that uh, <laughs> and then just read about read about these practices read about christian mm-hmm. mysticism read about silence read about contemplative prayer and then mm-hmm. you can pat yourself on the back and say oh look at me like i'm doing mm-hmm. the spiritual journey thing um But just reading about it isn't going to get you anywhere. And I I know that Mm. from experience. Um, Mm. And that's part of why I had to put the books away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you can read about it, again, to go back to a point you made earlier, but until you actually embody it and experience it, it will not bring transformation. You can read about transformation all you want, but it's not going to like happened through osmosis i tried yeah. <laughs> you have to do the work <laughs> you have to do the work and it's an ongoing journey that it is. never ends like you're not going to yeah. just arrive one day and be like oh cool i made it no. <laughs> and i know and if you think you made it then like you're you are, are so far missing it <laughs> so yeah i don't know
1: it, that's good man i do think it's it's that continued journey and i do think it's because the divine is infinite uh the the adventure is infinite um and so we just get to continue to explore the the heights and breadth and depth and width of the potential of love you know it's exploring the 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 potential of what it means to be fully human and that never ends so we just get to continue to expand and expand and expand uh and that's my goal i mean i'm 50 you know i'm i probably you know they say 50s midlife i'm you know maybe i'll live to 100 uh but uh but most likely i'm past halfway of living but my whole goal for the rest of my i I could give a shit about my resume i've I've done enough external accomplishments to pat myself on the back and have a solid go at container what i care about now is really leaning into experiencing to receive and give love with the greatest depth of my being that's that's what i want the rest of my life to be about and I want that to r- ripple out pragmatically practically in the world through work and life. And, but ultimately it's as simple as that. I want to, I want to both receive and give love to the greatest potential and depth that I can. And that's what I wake up each day doing. And that's why we talk about this. This is not just some fun theological, you know, brain candy. This is, this is born out to me of, of that deep longing uh, to, to love that way.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. And it just, um to it just like uh you know reminds me um like this this like deep knowing you know we're talking about these these three centers and this deep knowing is what when i use the word faith it's what i mean by that uh cuz i can in greek the the greek word for epistis, um a better translation would be like trust uh or allegiance and so once you have this experiential knowledge of the divine, then faith is cultivated because you have a deep trust, and then you have a different way of knowing. So now mm-hmm. when people try to come and tell me things about God, and I'm like, What mm-hmm. D- are you sure? <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not you know, <laughs> and but it and it it takes away the the my need to argue. Like, I yeah. okay, cool, sure. Yeah. Go yeah. believe that that's fine. I know in a different way, which sounds like you know, circular argument but taste and see friends go do it for yourself and once you have that ex- inner experience then that trust is built and then that gives you the freedom that Jesus talked about <laughs> where mm, then you yeah. can go and do exactly what you're saying give yeah. and receive love into the, in the greatest mm-hmm. capacity because then you're not caught up in all this stupid bullshit because you know right. you know here differently than you know in your mind um that everything is okay even when it's not yeah. and that the divine is present in and through all things and that the mm. deepest most truest part of who i am and who you are is that divine love mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. once you live from that space then there's that peace that passes all understanding
1: right uh, on, man.
0: there's that freedom yeah. um i don't know so
1: beautiful man closing thoughts Solid, solid, solid. Closing <laughs> thoughts, man. Right on.
0: Oh, uh, good deal, Well, Greg. Thank you.
1: Uh,
0: this is fun, man. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun doing these podcasts.
1: Me too. Me too. Yeah. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is, oh. is going to be a, quite a little adventure.
0: I think so. I'm. I'm. I like adventures, so it should be fun. And uh, I think too, like listeners, if you're interested, Second Breath, the app is fantastic. There's um, sections on there with spiritual practices. To help you with all three of these things i'm going to plug it yeah. for you greg how's
1: that thanks buddy <laughs> right on there. Thanks. well yeah just at the, at the bottom of the app there's a what little up. picture of a body a little picture of a heart and a little picture of a head and each one of those practices both through like peer-reviewed science and kind of our christian wisdom tradition we cr- we've crafted practices specifically to you know quiet the mind open the heart and ground the body so there's tons of practices there for everybody
0: yeah and they're awesome i I use it often i have actually i was just trying to pull up the app but i got a new phone so it logged me out so i have to log back (laughs) in. but um cool sweet man well i have a yeah listeners thank you uh for hanging out with us today hopefully um edifying conversation but yeah like i said taste and see go try it uh and uh i don't think you'll be disappointed i know yeah Cool. Well, thanks sisters. Uh i never know how to fucking end this stuff, man. <laughs> Peace <laughs> out. Like, Peace. Peace out.